0: I would love to talk about women over 40 specifically and how you are seeing anxiety, depression, trauma show up in their everyday lives. I have a luxury that I get to peek into people's lives when
1: they really want change. Mm. But what I see when people come to me is a lot of the hidden stuff, a lot of fear, a lot of lack of confidence, even in the most confident women loneliness, numbness, isolation, of feeling like they just have lived most of their life disconnected and they don't want to do it anymore. Like They want real human connection. They want real passion. They want real, real stuff, you know, and it's showing up in lack of interest in their life, loss of motivation, worry, angry outbursts challenges with their connecting with their kids, uh, fear, worry about that they're giving this to their kids, really a lot more inner torture and struggle, especially because a lot of us have built and made it really far and have done a lot of work, but it's just like exhaustion and lack of satisfaction. And really that knowing something's not right, and uh, really wanting to see some real big changes. What I see a lot happening is um, people, when they reach out to me, they've read trauma books. They've read The Body Keeps the Score. They've been watching podcasts. They've been just reading and researching and finding out things they never knew, like uh, about narcissism and codependence and the effect of trauma on the brain. So. By the time they get to me, they're like, I don't just want more information. I really want to do
0: something about this. I want to actually do the work. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and the Grown-Ass Woman's Guide is committed to sharing resources to help grown-ass women everywhere get the support they need. Today, you'll meet Rachel McLeod, a licensed clinical social worker, mental health therapist, and emotional wellness coach. Through years of successfully helping clients move their anxiety, depression, and trauma disorders into remission. She has developed a program that empowers people to skillfully get rid of symptoms and heal. If you are wondering what kind of support is available for you or someone you love, this episode is for you. I'm Jackie McDougall, and this is the Grown-Ass Woman's Guide. After a day of go, 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 balance and work and three teenagers trying to juggle the unexpected things that pop up daily, I sometimes have a hard time settling down and prioritizing my inner calm. You know what I'm talking about. But recently I discovered Element Apothic, their CBD products for achieving a restful night's sleep and stress-free days. I got to be honest with you, I had heard about the benefits of CBD, but like many women, I had no real idea of what CBD could actually do. Element Apothic CBD infused wellness and body care products combine the healing power of nature with the ingenuity of science. And they are transparent down to every ingredient, so you know exactly what's in there. Give yourself or someone you love the gift of wellness today. Visit Elementapothic.com forward slash GAWoman and save 10% with promo code GAWoman. Last week, I spoke with mental health advocate and content creator, Anna Prisbilski. Anna shared her millennial perspective on mental health and the differences she sees in her generation versus those of us who are Gen X. In this episode, Rachel helps us understand how the brains of women over 40 really work and how it's never too late to heal, even from events we never imagined possible.
1: I love this time frame because by this time women usually have teenagers we're interacting with the world around us and we are giving our children our nervous system Like we're interacting with the world around us based on our nervous system, right? So we can say all the things we want to say, but as our children are watching us, they're picking up what our nervous system is doing. As a matter of fact, they're mapping our minds based on their own nervous system with our nervous system. And so because to heal an anxiety, depression, or trauma disorder, not only do we need to heal emotional wounds and these types of things, but we really need to uh, regulate our nervous systems, heal our nervous systems and repattern and recondition them. And so when we're doing all of this stuff together, cohesively and systematically, we really get some really big changes showing up in women Mm -hmm. that it's really cool when you start to see it show up in their children. And they do like they're like women over 40 when they do their inner work, they're creating massive shifts all around them.
0: And for generations, it sounds like. For
1: generations.
0: And it's, even, it's re- even remarkable that their
1: children will have an easier time resolving disorders. And because they've overcome their disorder, they're also not afraid of their child's disorder anymore. And what we're seeing there is the parent is then skilled enough to jump in and help the kid out, which is the most powerful point of influence. The kids don't want therapists. They want their parents. Right. Mm. And so I am thrilled. I love working with children. I love working with teenagers. I'm not good at working with under, you know, under teens. Right. So I can just stand and hope that the kid gets what they need. But when I start working with parents of those children, I see the shifts. I see the kids getting what they need. I see mom and dad being emotionally available and connecting and attuning with their children. You know, as so many of us come from times where our parents were too busy or too traumatized or too emotionally or mentally ill to really connect with us that we didn't get attuned. We didn't get attuned. They weren't checking in with us. They weren't mapping us like we were mapping them. Right. And that's an important part in learning how you work is to have someone tuned into you. So by the time women are here, they have gone most of their lifetime without that. Mm. And all of a sudden, we start turning them. A lot of the work is to turn into yourself and start looking at stuff and start tuning into yourself. And all of a sudden, all that healing starts to come on board. And the brain is like, "Ooh, you're looking at me. <laughs> and they're shifting and they're changing. And then they really learn themselves. They really attune to themselves and they can really take that information in with them as they go about their life. And what's interesting is that they're Using their nervous system and their subconscious programming to start teaching the world to attune to them too, mm. right? That's so
0: fascinating.
1: Some, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so we have this situation where we go, we go throughout our life without being attuned to, so we just, it, that's how our nervous system is programmed. And so we don't even expect it. So we don't call it forward. We don't invite it. We don't grab it when it shows up. We don't recognize it when it shows up. But all of a sudden we start attuning to ourselves, And all of a sudden everyone else starts to do it too, and <laughs> which is phenomenal and very can be really jarring to a nervous system. And so it's really great to have skills to work with that because all of a sudden it feels like all eyes are on you. And that's where we can sometimes want to sabotage and go run and hide. Right. And prepare
0: ourselves to come back out and absorb this nourishment. Wow. And so when you were describing this quote unquote woman over 40 and how she's feeling and what she's going through, it hit me in all the feels because not only have I felt many of those things, the women around me, the women in the Grown Ass Women's Guide community, some of my best girlfriends, sisters, we are all feeling this level of disconnection that you explained and i think based on our generation because maybe we weren't getting that tuning or a tu- you know yeah that we just think this is the way it is yes we've been taught to suck it up buttercup and if you have anxiety if you have depression if you have past traumas that's sort of a life sentence And you could take medication you can go to therapy and you could talk and all of that. But you're saying you can actually put these feelings into remission. Yes. Can you explain that a little bit more? Yeah. Um, well,
1: we are we're kind of going into the world of neuroplasticity, right? And that the brain is flexible, is ready to rebuild, build whatever, take stuff down, build new things. And what I, I brains can build anything we want. We want to build connection, right? Like, okay, brain, let's build some connection. Go. And all of those neuropathways will show up. It's just about helping your brain do its work. And that's where a lot of us get stuck and why in the generation before us, they really I I've seen a lot of them trying to do healing work, but because we didn't have this understanding of the brain's process for healing itself, updating, um, working through subconscious programming or how the subconscious mind is, is involved with that stuff and involved with our everyday life. We just thought, oh, well, this doesn't work, you know? And the truth of the matter is it works beautifully when you understand where this process gets blocked, why it gets blocked and really, jump in there and support your brain with that. And and it's very, very simple. The the part of this healing process that gets blocked, their updating process is where the emotions come up and meet the brain, meet the survival system. Mm. And that's not the thinking center. So the emotions actually have a very difficult time getting into the, the thinking center. And the emotions, if you think of them as packages of information about who you are and what you've experienced, you can see that it's really important for those guys to get to the front. To mix in with your ability to analyze them, your ability to make sense of all that information, your ability to convert that information into something usable, your ability to match that information with your morals and your beliefs and really Mm. create with this. Emotion also is power. So it's going to empower anything it touches. And so the more emotional we are, this is this big secret that I don't think we understand as women or even as humans in general, is that the more emotion you have, the more power you have. Emotion is energy in motion, emotion, mm. right? So it's an energy form. But what happens is if it can't make it through the brain's process to get to the front of the brain, it stays and fuels the back of the brain, the animal part of us, right? And that's not a thinking or reasoning center. That's where we get the shutdown, the fight, the flight, the freeze, the faint. Fainting, we're fainting a lot. Most of the napping that has to do with depression has to do with your brain actually shutting you down for survival purposes. Wow. Wow. So yeah. And people are taking the blame for that, that they're just lazy, but no, that's actually a brain function issue that can be resolved. And it's, it's fun to resolve. It's easy to resolve. How many of us are, have just find ourselves fawning over people and appeasing people and pleasing people. And then we shift out of there. We come out of that survival state, our front part of the brain turns back on. It's like, what were you doing? Why didn't you stick up for yourself? Right, You know, and it's because there was emotion that came up. It didn't make it through. It, it ignited, lit up the back of the brain and off we did our animal instincts, whatever they were. Hmm.
0: Let me jump in here a quick second. First of all, emotion as power. I'm so here for this, but I know for me, I need to break this down a little bit. So my brain can even grasp the concept here. So the emotion comes up. And it comes up from your body. It comes
1: up from all parts of you, from all of your sense. And that we don't always recognize it for what it is. Like sometimes when you are about to get on a call and your stomach hurts, that's your stomach expressing emotion, mm. right? And, so, and that goes through the nervous system and to, to need to be carried to the front of the brain so that you understand why your stomach is bothering you in relation to the phone call that you're about to make. Okay. Right? But the, as it comes up through your nervous system, And it it goes, it needs to, it starts registering the brain as either pleasure or pain. And so, and if it's pleasure or some pain, your brain will, your survival system will allow it to pass through. If that, if the emotion that comes up registers beyond pain threshold levels or beyond the pain, like it turns into, Hey, this is a threat level of pain. Now your survival system jumps on okay, and it shuts down the process for the stuff moving from the back of the brain to the front of the brain. Instead of going into thought and reasoning and clarity and problem solving, it shifts into survival strategies, survival modes. Wow. And this creates a whole different process in our body that actually shuts down digestion, shuts down much of the healing functions, detoxification, rest, relaxation. This is why many of us Have challenges with rest and relaxation is because stuff is coming up. Our survival system is picking it up as dangerous, even if we're Mm -hmm. not registering that as dangerous. Oh. And so we're shifting into survival states, and sometimes it's very subtle, right? And then, but we're in, we're totally in a different part of the brain than we think we're in. We're not in the part of the brain where our morals are, and our values, and our principles, and our thoughts, and our skills right? Once we go into a survival state, we're not really using our skills in the same way.
0: Right. Yeah. We're just doing anything to survive. That's right.
1: And that's a a crapshoot of random strategies, right? So you might hit one that's like, it was exactly the right thing. And now it makes striving in your life, you know, mm-hmm. but it's random. Maybe you could do one where you cut up somebody that you love and they stay away from you for weeks, you know, mm-hmm. it could do one where you, you know, where you're, um, shutting down in front of your kid and you can't talk to them for days. And now they feel this separation and abandonment. Right. And so it's right. like all this random stuff happening in your life based on old, animalistic instinct and programming. And it really takes us, and we don't get a choice in that part of the brain. And you know, you don't get a choice. Well, you know, you're in the right part of the brain when you have an option. When you say, I really want to scream right now. And I think I'm going to take a moment and do a little bit of work. You're at least up in the front of your brain, moving things around.
0: So, you know, you're there if you feel like you have options.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a really good sign. Yeah. If you start to have options, you're, you're in the part of the brain where there is options. Survival system uh, does not give you options. It's, it's designed to not need thinking, not need reason to be able to save you from whatever dangerous thing is out there, right? The lions, tigers and bears and all the things we'd run into. We don't need to be thinking when we're being chased by a lion. Right. You know, we don't need to be healing. We'll heal later. You know, we don't need to be problem solving. Let's, we'll do that later. And so it really, that's wonderful when it's appropriate. But some of our survival system thinks that some of these emotions are lions and tigers and bears. And, and some of that is because it's stuck emotion, stuck trauma that hasn't made it through our system yet, but it's surfacing. It's being registered by the brain and it's shifting us into a survival state. And we're like, I was just walking around the corner. But maybe while you were walking around the corner, you had a memory come up, or maybe um, there was something in the air that reminded you of the exact thing that happened 25 years ago. Your brain is keeping a record of all of these things. And so we can be shifted into a survival state without our thinking center really even understanding. That's one of the reasons it's so important to do our trauma work and our, and healing and attuned to ourselves and pay attention because our body and
0: our, our mind will let us know when it needs some support. Right. I have so many follow-up questions. <laughs> so let's talk about trauma for a second, because at this point of our lives, over 40, many of us have experienced trauma. But when you're talking about trauma, are you talking about just traumatic events, big things that happen in our lives? Because many of us have had those. Or are you talking like, how do we decide what, tra- what is trauma and what isn't? Yeah. Well, I think the brain decides that. And okay. And so if That's worth repeating again. Okay. When it comes yeah. to trauma, the brain decides that.
1: That's right. That's exactly right.
0: Um, and you can see if
1: it, if it's able to process an event or an incident that occurred by if you experience post traumatic stress about it. Um, mm. Your brain is repeating it. You need to look at it over and over again. It's like, I didn't get what I needed out of there. I don't understand why this happened. I can't figure this stuff out. That's a sign that this thing is not moving through the process, the brain's healing process well. Other things with your nervous system after an event like that, you're jumpier, you're, um, you're more hypervigilant. Many of us have hypervigilance with tuning into other people's emotions, reading people's mm. facial expressions. Like that can be a skill, right? And it is, if whatever we're developing for trauma reasons, is a skill, right? But if it's usually for trauma reasons, we'll see it doesn't turn on and shut off. It's just constant. It's not like today I want to use a hammer, tomorrow I want to use a saw. It's like we're Mm -hmm. always using this hammer. And so we want these skills to be used well, like when we're being kind right? That kindness can be really wonderful, but it, it can't always show up like that. We're dealing with different mm-hmm. kinds of people. Sometimes we need to be firm and kind. Sometimes we need to be firm and not kind, right? Mm-hmm. And so, but with, if we're only being kind everywhere we go, we're not seeing that flexibility. But back to what you were saying with trauma there, the brain decides what it can get over or not. And one thing that if you're walking down a street and you kick a curb, this might be like frustrating for some people it might bruise them and some people it might break a bone Mm -hmm. and we don't say you're not supposed to say this well it shouldn't have happened like that so we're not going to treat this like it's a broken bone even though it's a broken bone we're not going to treat it like that because it shouldn't have happened and it's like there are many small things that happen throughout childhood even with the best parents that can break an emotional bone can really create yeah. a massive wound. Even something small, like reaching up in class and having your your shirt raised and someone see your belly. Right. Or, gosh, something that was really traumatic for me in an elementary school was uh, I was playing with m- with my friend, and this boy came up and told her, "Do you want to be my girlfriend?" And she said yes. And then he said, "Psych," and ran off. <gasps> oh my oh, wow. gosh! I was I I was, I it felt like I was stabbed in the gut. I have been, I mean, I can't tell you how much tra- work I've done on the psyche. right? It was a very small mm-hmm. situation that mm-hmm. has really, because part of my upbringing was, I had a mom was, who was severely traumatized and um, wonderful woman. And there were challenges and she wasn't getting the support that she needed. So how was she going to give that to me? You right. know, so some of that made some of these things more painful and more lasting, Right when we don't get the mm-hmm. support we need, that can be traumatic for the brain. I mean, that's why that's one reason brains can't process what they need to process to heal and move on is because not enough support was provided in the moment. Mm. The trauma,
0: right? And I think that's so important to point out that we all have our experience, and it, and it looks like the experience could be the same as someone else, yes. but the response is extremely different. That's right. And we don't know if that's a bruise or a broken bone. And maybe taking a second to acknowledge that everyone's experience is a little bit different. Yes, exactly. I, I think that's so important. So number one, you completely nailed how we're feeling. Number two, you've given us hope because we don't have to, you know, when you think about somebody with PTSD, sometimes you think about a veteran or or someone who's in the military and and they come home and and I, i've seen it where it's like oh well they have ptsd and that's just a lifelong diagnosis and you just try to live with it but not only are you saying that that can be healed mm-hmm. but i was reading you believe it can be healed and you have clients who have healed in a very short time
1: yeah can you share that yeah most of the people that come to me have post traumatic stress disorder um, and are shocked when i diagnose them with that. How does that look in the in some of these people? Uh, flashbacks, sometimes mm. hourly, sometimes daily, inability to sleep, nightmares, avoiding things that would be upsetting. And that boy, that one habit there, we can that's kind of an anxiety thing, right? But boy, that one can become monstrous where you're avoiding people, then you're avoiding places, mm. then you're avoiding thoughts, then you're avoiding whole areas in your own thinking. That I mean, that that one little thing can just be massive. And I see it show up very massively in people. Post-traumatic stress disorder, lots of nervous system dysregulation, just um, overstimulation, can't be touched, feeling restless or jumpy, exaggerated startle response. All of those things hint to post-traumatic stress disorder. And then, you know, you open up their history and they've had anything from sexual abuse to domestic violence in the home as a child, gosh, that is a war. You're living in a war zone and you're supposed to develop in there. So lots of different parents with mental illness, parents with alcoholism uh, or addiction use, that's a lot of the stuff that I see. And with healing and overcoming these things quickly, what I found and I really, I took, took me a long time to do my, to resolve my own disorders because I really didn't have numbers and see how to heal and watch the patterns. But once I started seeing if I could help other people, I started to like, okay, yeah, we could work, heal an emotional wound here or there, but I really started to see that they still would have their disorder. They still were impaired in major areas of their life. And then I was like, well, and so I started going after those impairments and seeing if I could help them in their nervous system from the inside out show up and like not be impaired in those areas. And then sure enough, you can. And so I was really helping people do that. And it took me about two years ish. And some people would come in with less, the less childhood trauma you have, the less this takes, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. The more it has, the more systems you need to rebuild and the more you need to really walk the brain through building some pretty important functions like joy. Right. Some of us never got the opportunity to build that or built structures where we learned to let's keep joy low. Otherwise bad things will happen. Oh. Right. So we need to get in there and change that and help the brain resolve that. So joy can, is allowed to flow freely. But what I found is after a while I could do it where they didn't have a disorder, we got there. And then I was like, but that's a long time. Maybe we could do this faster. And so I started implementing different strategies where I would actually hand the interventions over to the clients. And I, I use activating our survival system and making us act like animals.
0: Right. And what kind of interventions are you using specifically? Are there certain modalities that you use, or, or a combination of yeah. modalities?
1: Yeah. Um, I use emotional freedom techniques, interventions that work specifically with the survival system, because that is the point where emotion will either move through the system or get blocked mm. and be pressed back or used for survival. Strategies. And so I, everything I do is, is based on grabbing your survival system and rocking it like a baby. Not really, but <laughs> in its language, that's really what's happening. And like, Hey, uh-huh. we're all right. We can let this, this, this emotion pass through. It's going to be safe. You know, let's mm. bring down those pain levels. You know, we're good. And that the interventions also work to bring down the pain levels of the material, the emotion that's surfacing. So we can really do a lot of work to bring down the level of intensity, and we call this desensitizing, of past events, traumatic events. Because if we can get that that intensity down, the survival system never gets activated about, what is that? What is this here? It's going to kill us. No, actually, it'll allow the trauma to pass through to the part of the brain that can release it understand it and recreate with it and reorganize us in a way that actually builds function instead of that memory being something that constantly is tearing us down. Mm. Emotional freedom techniques, like tapping? Yep. Tapping. Okay. Yes. And I, I, let me tell you why these things work, but let me tell you the interventions first. So emotional yes. freedom techniques, thought field mm-hmm. therapy, energy medicine, and EMDR. Okay. So, so eye movement, desensitization, and reprocessing. Yeah. So,
0: I've actually done EMDR. Yes. Um, and it's- Phenomenal. So I love that we could talk about this today. <laughs> yes.
1: Yes. And so I have found that not all of these are the right fit for people. And so because I'm okay. trained in multiple of them and I train people to use these for themselves, mm-hmm. what they find is that, that usually that we spend the first session matching interventions. And I mm-hmm. want to see some specific brain function change while we're using this. I want to see the intensity of the issue we're working on reduce. Usually we'll pick something smaller and just a practice target. Like, can we bring this? It, the intensity of it down. Um, and then I, I want to see the, the, the issue move through your brain's healing process. And so we know that's happening when, um, people start having new thoughts about it, when they start shifting into problem solving around it, those are the, the final stages of the front part of the brain. And then they'll get to a point where they're like, huh, or they'll get to a point where they're just no longer interested in the traumatic memory. And so whichever comes first or both, that lets me know that we've got the right intervention on. Yes, And I'm constantly evaluating that throughout the work because if one intervention doesn't work, let's swap the other one in there. Mm. And because I train people in the beginning and these interventions are take very little time to train and I can give people little projects that create massive changes in their nervous system conditioning with just the basic skills and trainings. And so I start them like that and then we're healing, but they're practicing and they're building their skill because I need them to be able to tune into what's coming up. And I teach them how to work with specific parts of their brain their subconscious mind. I teach them how to access information from the body, make sure that information gets through the healing pathways and also the survival system. So it's very self-specific. And what I found is that one of the things that we do is we use these interventions for specific projects, which is what, how I began, but there's many other pieces, probably about eight that we need to be doing to resolve a whole disorder. Okay. And so when I started handing off these interventions and started training clients, and then I started giving them specific homework, and then I started saying, after they were using advanced skills with that, then Mm -hmm. I would notice, I think I can teach them this too. And so I taught them the next thing. And so the next thing I know, I'm teaching them how to process traumatic memories. And the next thing I know, they're coming back to me and like, I worked through this memory and this memory and this memory. I'm stuck on this one. And so I jump into this one with them and we, and I'd see where they got stuck. And then I could build their skill in there while also helping them resolve the memory. And so they got a lot more work done than just when they were with me in sessions. So it was really empowering them to heal in a much quicker way, and then also to support their brain where they needed it, which is in their actual life, right you know it's one thing when we do the work in, in our office that's great. we can do a lot of work there because we're kind of isolating all the other variables we can but it's but we really want people to be fluent in healthy brain function where they're living in their real time life and so I started to see that this was creating that effect as well because they mm. they would have challenges at home they would break it out, open it up, help their brain through it, and then be like, oh, I know what I'm going to do. And then they come back and tell me about how they actually paused before yelling at their kid and how instead of that, what they did instead, because their thinking center was able to turn back on. Because when we go into survival modes, the brain shuts down our thinking center to about 20% of function. So we really can't think very clearly. But if we can recognize that because we're tuned in, Then all of a sudden we can help our brain shift from the back of the brain to the front. And next thing you know, we're firing on all cylinders and we can change our interactions in the moment. Right. And so I saw clients doing that and then how empowered they felt and how confident they were feeling because they were actually creating real change. And then, so I kept with that. And the next thing I know, I'd say that they they were open and available for this next level of work that used to take us a year to get into. So then I started seeing if I could teach them those strategies. And then sure enough, they did. And now they're like having full out you know, interactions with their subconscious mind. They're engaging their subconscious mind, having some, <laughs> some conversations and, and sending their subconscious mind on some really powerful healing
0: missions, which mm. subconscious minds can do any of that stuff. I don't think we can have any conversation about mental health without mentioning boundaries. Rachel sees boundaries as an important piece to leading a fully functional life. I really teach a lot of work on boundaries and how to look at boundaries in each
1: moment that they show up in people's lives um, as a functional, like just functional assessment, not like, oh, I need to work on boundaries, but like, no, in this moment, when I had this conversation, how are my boundaries functioning? And usually when it's not functioning well, it's because the survival system came on and redirected your healthy boundaries. Cause we, I find that we have, we have such wonderful healthy boundaries. They're just covered by trauma and by some beliefs and emotion. We, if we pull those things off, all of a sudden there is it. There it is. And it'll show up and people can say their boundary and communicate it in multiple different styles. And all of a sudden that's working. And, and then by that time I realized that we had overhauled so many, um, subconscious programming and conditions that they were much different in their relationships. And so I realized that we needed to go into the relationships and like, bring them to date, like drop all the old emotional baggage we have around these things, all the old assumptions and just come and, and just be with the relationship as it actually is today.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And
1: so I started developing, uh, interventions or strategies for that. And then people were using them and they were healing themselves even further and also healing their relationships.
0: Rachel mixes and matches a variety of therapies when working with her clients. Some we can even learn and practice ourselves. She says the combination of therapies, plus training people to practice some of these modalities on their own throughout the day, can turn what would normally require years and years of therapy into healing in just months or even weeks. I found that using my method, it takes
1: 120 to 300 hours of specific and targeted brain work to resolve Mm -hmm. a disorder. And the less childhood trauma you have and developmental trauma you have, you're about the 120 mark. Some I've even seen earlier sooner than that, but this is an average. The more Mm -hmm. complex your childhood is, we're looking more at the 300 hour mark and sometimes more, especially if people have ongoing trauma, like losing a house, losing a marriage, losing a job, those sorts of things that come up, uh, health conditions, right? Those things kind of take us out of the work of healing a disorder and leave us more in the work of coping and getting through something well and helping the brain do that. But right. that 120 to 300 hours, if you stay in weekly sessions with a therapist or whoever you're working with, it's two to six years. Hmm. you know. And so what I found is that if I can get people trained and doing this work two hours a day, which by the time people get to me, their disorder is they have enough symptoms to be doing this work for three to four hours a day. So if I can get you to support your brain, not only will you feel better every minute that you're doing this because the brain is electrical and it moves really fast with when it can. And when we support it properly, it is so fast. And so we can really shift from being back in the back of the brain to the front so, so instantly. So if we can do that two hours a day, we can get people through disorders in two to six months instead of two to six years.
0: Wow. And so you're talking about, you know, how they're seeing you maybe once a week or, or connecting with you and then they're doing a lot of this on their own. Correct. Yes.
1: I've made my curriculum available as a self-study program. So people can really do whatever pace they want. There is a right pace for everyone. That two hours a day mark, I wish that was the right pace for everybody, but sometimes it's not. And you kind of know right. if, if, if that makes you lean back in your chair and you're like, well, oh, then it's really, you're, that's your nervous system, your survival system saying that would be dangerous for us. Right. You know, but if you're nervous, if you're leaning in you're like, oh my gosh, that's,
0: that means that your survival system would be like, yes. Is like, we right. want to do that. Let's do it. And is it possible, depending on where you are in your life and your family or your job or your whatever's going on, that sometimes you might be leaning out and other times you might be leaning in? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: And I find that I don't see a problem with people being able to get their two hours in because we can really strategize around that. There's some really wonderful passive strategies where you can get your brain work in without a lot of intention. That is a thing, but when people begin the work and they haven't developed enough observation skills, mm. then that's really what that can take quite a bit of time. Okay. Right. And that can stretch things out because they will know that they have symptoms and, but if like, can they catch the symptom? And that's the work that we're looking at. Can you see right now you're having racing thoughts or are you more just freaked out inside and you can't see anything? Do we need to, We need to build that ability to observe the self and to be in the moment, but also observing outside of the moment. Many of us have already developed that. I've seen it in 40-year-olds where we really need to spend time there, especially people that have been very gaslit, people that have not received a lot of affirmation, have been undermined. It really disconnects us from our own navigation system and our Mm -hmm. own ability to connect with ourselves. And so that needs to be rebuilt first. And and really, in those moments, the most basic strategies are so effective. And so, it can mm. be really, really helpful for somebody to go through the program very slowly. I do have the opportunity for people to do that over an eight-month track. If they're somebody that needs to spend a lot of time in the first session and the first training grounds and then go to the next one. So, and whatever pace someone works at, it's really beautiful. For most people, even going slow, they could expect to resolve their disorder in a year or two. Mm. So that's magical.
0: It didn't happen in a year or two. It's been for many of these women, 40, 50, 60 years. That's right. And so a year or two is not a bad amount of time to invest in the rest of your life. That's Right. Yeah. So what does this brain work look like? I just want to go back real quick to the intervention. So EFT, I want to clear up for people, emotional freedom technique. Yes. That's tapping. That's tapping on certain. Well, yep. why don't you explain that a little bit?
1: Yeah. It's working with the meridian system, which we are learning that, and we've it, the information has been out there for a while. We're learning that our body is is interacting with our thoughts and feelings and the world around us chemically. And also energetically. And so we have all these electrical systems that we're now starting to really learn about. And that's mm-hmm. really what we're, we're starting to use that, uh, for healing because uh, Stanford had this wonderful quote that said, our cells are communicating 10,000 times faster electrically or energetically than they are chemically. Mm. And it really signaled to me this understanding that there are these two different systems that work together and that we could Take one of these systems and do a lot of healing work, Just, but we've mostly focused on the chemical components. And we've really kind of gotten as far as we can get with that without bringing on the energetic. And so um, when we're tapping on different points, these are part of our electrical system, our body's energetic system, and we're actually tapping on points on our body. And what's wonderful about this is this is exactly in the native language of the survival system. And so it can actually translate and receive the messages of, hey, we're okay, we're safe. We're calm. Mm. We we can let stand down and let this healing happen, right? Right. And right. so that is that's the powerful piece in there. But also, it works to desensitize and and the emotional distress. So you can take a stressor in your day, think about it, be tapping on it while you're thinking about it. EFT has a lot of talking cues where you talk about your stressor, and by the time you're done tapping it's, it, it, maybe it was a seven and it was tight in your chest. And by the time you're finished, it's a two or one, or you can't find it at all. Mm. And you feel more relaxed because your body is, you're supporting its ability to move this stuff through. Right, And, and that's just the beginning of the awesome party. because once it gets to the front of the brain, that's where the reconstruction goes. And that's where finally your brain can make what you need for your life. And in relation to these, all these things that happen that didn't get through because they were too painful for your brain to,
0: mm-hmm. to let them through. And is it kind of priming your body to be able to do deeper work? Well,
1: um, I would say that yes, absolutely. Um, the brain. You can t- say no, <laughs> you're
0: full of crap, Jackie. It's totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think there's a truth to what you're saying
1: um, because a lot of times you, we have to do the outer work before we can be allowed into the inner work, especially because you have to pass you have to get all, you have to, all these layers out here usually are pain. They register as pain in the body. So as we're Mm -hmm. tapping on anything we run into, which in the beginning of the work, you just kind of put on your intervention pack and spray everything down without even thinking (laughs) about it, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Because the, I mean, the, the brain will heal. Sometimes people heal things that I think are going to be big projects and they heal it. Like they, they leave, they come back And they were falling asleep every morning. They were waking up and going into depression, crashing. And then they come back and they're like, I baked a cake. (laughs) I was up. I did not fall asleep. (laughs) That might not sound big to you, but I- That's a big deal. I haven't fallen asleep since the last time we connected, right? So i you never know what's going to be a big project for the brain and what's going to be a little one. So sometimes just going in there and spraying things down, like using your tapping over anything and everything is Mm -hmm. transformational. Right. Right. And so, and that does prime us for the inner work. And that's, I really have people stand out there and do that for a while because after that, when they start noticing how their brain is running differently and hold up, I didn't yell at my kid and hold up here, I actually slept well. And then all of a sudden they, number one, they're, they're more, they, there's more buy-in, but Mm. then all of a sudden there's more emotional room to do some stuff that was difficult before. And that's when people, you know, we think about, oh, this memory, mm, not doing it. But all of a sudden, now that we've cleared out this other stuff, we thought, you know what, actually, I could do this. Yeah. And so then
0: we'll go in. So in in some ways, it really does prime
1: us for the, the deeper work.
0: Right. I'd love to talk to you about EMDR for a second. But what did you say the other two were after uh, EFT? Energy medicine.
1: Mm-hmm. What and does that look like? That looks like... um well, you know who 's really a powerful proponent in this right now is Donna Eden mm. and i 've been taking her training program for three years now anyway i 've just been integrating it into therapy because it works perfectly because we really want to work with the other parts of the brain we 've spent so much time working with the front, our thinking our thoughts and and thinking things through, but it's that 's not where this problem lies the The mm. problem of anxiety, depression, and traumatic stress and the block in the healing process. It's not where it is. So I've really been wanting to gather information about how do I work with these other parts? Well, energy medicine has us working with chakras, meridians, um, our physical, um, like Tibetan rings, our aura, things like that. There's nine systems. And Mm -hmm. so integrating those with this has been phenomenal. And I really feel like it's been instrumental in helping people, Repair things like joy, repair Mm -hmm. their inner connection. Um, I, I really, I have them do a daily energy routine right in the beginning because it's so regulating to their whole nervous system. I mean, it does so many fabulous things. Um, and I'm also looking at it because there are multiple little interventions in there that some people accidentally find if I do this right here, it stops my panic attacks. And so then we know we're going to, we're going to apply that each time a panic attack comes on because Mm-hmm. Panic attacks will continue until we get to the root issue. And sometimes we can't find the root issue right away, but we want people to have the relief of not going into a full panic attack. Right. While we're, right. while we're kind of digging around and trying to figure out what's going on in there. Um, sometimes just applying an intervention where panic attacks is happening and doing that consistently enough. Like I find it's usually two or three, four times. Sometimes that will resolve it. It's in, entirely. And wow. I could go on and on and talk about why that happens and what's going on there, because I think that is fascinating and phenomenal.
0: Well, I'm open if you have time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I uh, I see it? that even in family members who have panic attacks and, you know, the inability to function throughout those and just having to sort yes. of live through them. But you're saying that there there are tools right there yeah. in that moment. Yeah, to alleviate those, alleviate Absolutely. those,
1: and and sometimes it's about working to find the right one. But I know that if that emotional freedom techniques is is has a high likelihood of breaking that thing off. So that's what I will have people start with. The next Mom. one is um, a, an intervention called collarbone breathing. This one is huge and phenomenal. I feel like it's like a, a big sledgehammer, and like when you have a difficult symptom, you just kind of. Conk it with the sledgehammer, you know. And she um, said collarbone, breathing? collarbone breathing. Yeah, it's okay. A,
0: I teach all these in my Facebook group for free yeah. because I'm like, go heal yourself. Uh, yeah. I'm I I'm know. linking to all the things in in the show notes. That's for sure. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Those are the like
1: the go ones that I I put people with the first and that we'll try out on panic attacks. But once they're in there and the panic attack is on and they're trying them and it's not working, I want them to have some backup ones because we don't know Mm. how long a panic attack will last. Some people are in panic attacks for like a phenomenally long time days, or they go from a panic attack straight to dissociation where the feeling of not being safe just persists and continues. Mm. But when we find the right match, it's really, really wonderful because they can really start to count on it, right? And and it's and not only are we counting on it, but we're actually doing brain work with how our brain is functioning during a panic attack, and that's priceless because wow. we can really have influence over how the brain is functioning in the moments when it's struggling the most, right? A panic attack is really it's just inaccurate firing of an important process. It's important for us to panic it sometimes. I don't, mm. I you know. I haven't run across very many of my own moments where I'm, you know, oh, this is an accurate panic attack, you know, Um, (laughs) Right. (laughs) but, but we want it to be accurate. And if it's not accurate, it means the brain does not understand some things. And so we really want it to learn what it needs to learn. And that's where we have to use its process to, for it to learn, because we can't tell it, we have to help it learn. That's a totally different, different process. Wow.
0: You're using all these different interventions, different modalities, and they all come together to help a human being. There's so many people who've I- I've done this therapy, I've done that therapy, and this doesn't work for me. You know, quote unquote, doesn't work for me, and that you incorporate so many different interventions to be able to customize something for the human being. And so, if somebody's listening right now. And they say, I'm doing this particular thing and it doesn't work for me. What would you tell them? I would say that
1: sometimes it's not that it's not working because usually if you are using a mind body intervention, you're directly communicating with your survival system. But sometimes it's not, you're not doing the right thing at the right time. Okay. Sometimes we're trying to do this memory work where we actually need to be doing function work, right? Sometimes we need to be. Sometimes we need to hunt a specific emotion. Sometimes we need to go on a shame hunt and we're over here being angry, right? Which is fine. Let's work through some anger and then let's see if we can jump over to the the shame hunt. It's a lot about understanding what makes up a whole disorder and meeting mm. the specific needs. Like for instance, positive affirmations is what I've been writing about lately and sharing about positive affirmations. They initiate very, very powerful brain work. They they start, the the subconscious mind hears to your affirmation or watches your vision board, and it immediately gets to work at electric speed in trying to come into alignment with that because that's its job is to align you with what you want to be doing or what you've been programmed to do. So if you're holding an affirmation, your subconscious mind is receiving the information that, hey, this is what we're aligning to now, go. And it's like, yeah, let's do it. And then it starts running into every reason why you're not already into alignment with it. And it's not a thinking or reasoning center. So it doesn't know. All it knows is I can't get there, you know, but if we can, what it will do is it will try, it will grab it up and it will try to send it to your thinking center, the part of the brain that can actually solve this problem. It's our problem solving center. So it brings up this problem that is keeping you out of alignment with this awesome affirmation, like I'm worthy of people's time and energy or something. Mm-hmm. Right. And here's this chunk that comes up and the survival, the subconscious mind needs your, your thinking center to work its magic on this, but this chunk that may come up is painful. And so mm-hmm. it's starting to register as pain as it's, sur- as it's servicing into your awareness. And then your survival system's like, Hey, there's pain happening in the system. It immediately goes to it, pushes it back down, gets it out. You're in a survival state all because you were trying to do some subconscious programming work. And now that thing that was brought up is back down Hmm. and you go and you don't know this is happening. So to use your positive affirmation again, and your subconscious mind is like, let's do this. And it runs right into that thing again. And so, Hmm. and then it comes up and it's, it argues with you and it's like, it's, you know, no, you're not because this, right. But I don't teach that strategy till the fourth week, because I I do want people to understand how to work with their survival Mm -hmm. system and working with affirmations is very concrete it eliminates a lot of the variables so you can actually work with your subconscious mind very specifically and in, in simply as opposed to mm-hmm. everybody in real time trying to jump six balls right in the air these affirmations give you the opportunity to look at your subconscious functioning and what's coming up when you hold this right when you have right. this affirmation what's coming up what we want to do is we want to take that thing and make sure it gets through the healing pathways we've used the interventions on that and then mm. we're going to try. And then after that gets fully through that, your, your thinking center makes sense of it because now it's like, I don't actually need this anymore. This is really good. This is brain trash. This is I, out. I'm going to keep this. And now how, how, does this relate with the affirmation? The front of the brain does that. And then they make an agreement and then they send that agreement and that harmony back to the subconscious mind and the subconscious mind is like, okay, good. Oh, that fits nice. And then it passes it and it goes to the next one. Mm right? And so a lot of times we can be working on multiple things. We can actually use positive affirmations to drill in specifically to all the trauma work blocking on us from aligning to and integrating a new affirmation. Wow. And this helps us not wander around in the brain trying to do all this healing work and not actually creating tangible change for ourselves.
0: Because ultimately what we're looking for is lasting change. Yes. Is an improvement from within. So we can then share that yes. throughout. And I think for so long, I can speak for myself, it was all about everyone outside. This person says this and that person did this. And and it was a response to external forces yes. versus getting more connected internally. Yes. Because then those external forces don't really have the same influence. That's right. We can talk about that till the cows come home. But
1: once a person experiences that, that's when it's really life-changing, right? That's when there's just like so much gratitude. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh my gosh, did you know (laughs) that people can disagree with you and you can just be fine and keep doing your own thing?
0: (laughs) Shocking, isn't it? (laughs) And is this something that you, you arrive, you're at a destination or is this a lifelong practice? Right. I look at this as like, basically what happens if you've got an anxiety, depression,
1: or trauma disorder, you basically have a lot of stuff in your house that hasn't been able to be processed and moves through. So you've got this stuff that's junk and gold back there that has to be cleaned out similar to a hoarder's house. Mm. Right. And And that's actually a physical representation of usually what, what I'm discussing right now. So my process is doing the work to take out the stuff and make the house livable. Right. And then we, if we want to live in the house and enjoy the house, there's things you just need to do to take care of your house. If you don't do those things, it will all come back. But a lot of times, because people have done 120 to 300 hours of specific and and targeted brain work, they're, they're used to doing this much work. (laughs) By the time they're done, it's like down here. And every once in a while, you have to replace the shower head, you know, so you got to do a little bit more work. Every once in a while, a pipe breaks in the back. And so you got to like do a lot more
0: work and and then it goes
1: back. And so there's, it's just kind of like, it's very similar to
0: living in a house. Mm -hmm. And there are certain life events that trigger things that maybe we didn't realize or we forgot or we sort of push back. That's right. right. Um, But when that pipe breaks, you got to deal with it. (laughs) That's That's right. That's right. That's right. Wow. I like the idea of knowing that there's healing and there's hope on the other side of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I I was there. I
1: thought emotional freedom techniques was it. But what I found was after learning more about the brain and interpersonal neurobiology, I really realized the brain is magic. The brain is totally equipped to resolve anything that we encounter. And I know that even more, I help people process traumas that should have never occurred on the earth. Mm-hmm. And when they're done processing that, it's like it it doesn't hurt anymore, and it's they're and they're grateful. they're like, "I wouldn't change a thing,
0: yeah,
1: and it's just like, whoa, the capability of our brain and our hearts and our, our whole system to really take this human existence and make something beautiful out of it is it just blows my mind, it absolutely right. blows my mind, so
0: and i know emdr alone i found a therapist who does emdr i've done it probably four times and there were some deep deep beliefs that i carried with me that i think about those events now and they're not they're not the anything really and yeah. so i know that one of these modalities never mind all of them together <laughs> is really powerful if one doesn't have a full blown disorder
1: it still can be wonderful to see that there's brain work going on in the challenges that we're facing and just yes. really just do that piece of work. It doesn't have to be a total system rebuild or a whole project, but this stuff still applies. Their brain is still there. And there's so much we can do to shift and free ourselves from, from things. And after living in it for a while, you start to feel the baggage.
0: You start mm. to be like, do I, why am I doing this? And sure enough, there's always a reason. While we didn't do a deep dive into every modality Rachel uses in her healing work, she offers free training on leading interventions for getting rid of symptoms, not just coping or managing them, releasing the baggage of anxiety, depression, and traumatic stress, which I will link to in the show notes, as well as all the ways to reach out to Rachel. Tune in next week because we will take a deeper dive into EMDR mentioned today in this episode. Dr. Lily Wagner joins me to help us understand EMDR and the benefits, as well as what you should look for in a practitioner. Thank you so much for listening. The growth of the Grown Ass Woman's Guide greatly depends on you, the listener. If you liked this episode or any episode of the Grown Ass Woman's Guide, please share it with a friend. If you feel inspired, you could add a rating or review on your favorite podcast app, and if you post on social media, tag grownasswoman.guide so I can connect with you there. Until next time, you are a grown-ass woman. Act accordingly. Spring has sprung, and with the change of seasons, sometimes comes an increase in vitality. If you're feeling in the mood for a little more personal time, may I suggest Coconu? Coconu is all about providing clean and natural ingredients when you're enjoying your most intimate moments, with or without a partner naturally safe products developed by people who are obsessed with quality. Get 15% off with promo code Gronass at guide forward slash That's 15% off with promo code GROWNASS at guide forward slash